like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. We've got one of the greats of folk music with us here today, Gordon Bach. Many of his songs come from the sea or from the edge of the sea where he lives, and he delivers them with a depth and a resonance that echoes deep in the soul. With 22 of his own recordings, as well as the collaborations with folks like Ann Muir, Ed Trickett, Cindy Callette, and others, Gordon Bach has created and passed on an immense wealth of balladry and inspiration. He joins us today from Maine. Gordon, I'm absolutely delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Well, thank you, Mark. You've been doing music for so many years, and you've been a part of my group singing experience. When did you start out with music? Oh, probably as early as I could make noise, I would say. My family, uh, my mother's family, all sang and played instruments, and it was just part of their lives. Is this like a family getting together and singing around the piano, or what kind of singing are we talking about here? Oh, dishwashing music. And yeah, whenever they would get together, like holidays, it would always end up as a singing session quite often. It would go the whole afternoon and Doc would come down and they'd be sitting there singing in the dark. And what's your native city, village, town? That was when we lived in Pennsylvania. And that's where a lot of my mother's family was from. And now I'm assuming you're living closer to the ocean than that. Oh yeah, when I was quite young, we moved to Maine for full time. And uh, my father came here during the Second World War. He and three others took over the shipyard that was here and um, built uh, wooden vessels for the Navy. So I grew up with all that around me. Have you lived, worked, lived on the sea for extended periods yourself? Yes, I did. I think if music hadn't taken me over completely, I'd be out there now. I'd be living out there now. And does that mean that you don't spend a lot of time out on a boat these days? Well, I managed to spend most of the summer on a small boat, but uh, not for work. It's just a place to live and actually do the work I would ordinarily do at home, which is, you know, writing music. And we have out there in the Four Peak, we have a harp, we have a six-string guitar, a 12-string guitar, sometimes a viola de gamba. Then all you need is a notebook and a recorder and... I'm in business. (laughs) I thought, perhaps we're traveling most seagoing vessels, that, you know, a guitar or multiple guitars would be a little bit too much. I thought maybe a ukulele might be more convenient. (laughs) Yeah, it would be be, uh, more convenient. But, you know, if if you're actually living aboard a boat, it's not like it's too damp all the time. This is is cool waters. 
it's pretty easy to keep your instruments in good shape. Besides the two fellows who built my instruments live within 10 miles of each other right here on the coast. So if anything does go wrong, I know where to go. And you say we spend time on that. I'm assuming you're saying you take your wife with you. Oh, yes. Is she a musician too? She is, yeah. She's a harpist and a singer. I guess I haven't particularly looked at the credits to note if she's on your recordings. or Does she do that, or is this just home stuff? No, she's, she, well, both. We're in two different choruses at home, but she does tour with me occasionally, especially the more interesting tours, you know, like Alaska and Australia. She wouldn't miss that. So you're still doing a lot of touring? I mean, you've had decades of touring, so I'm kind of assuming sometimes it gets kind of old. <laughs> yeah. Actually, other things have been taking over my time, so I'm touring less, and I'm, I'm just doing mostly the interesting or uh, fun things, that, uh, or concerts that are convenient to other work I need to do around the country. Well, I'm sure that people are eager to hear some of your music. Get us started off for your song of the soul. Well, Bold Reynolds. It's a song made by uh, Dave Toy. And I, I haven't met him, but I, I thought it was a wonderful story of a life, a celebration of a life that was lived with a certain honesty and appreciation. And it didn't matter particularly that it was the life of a fox. I thought that was even more fascinating. I was kind of interested by this name, Bold Reynolds. I was wondering if when Dave named it, is it like the family where he, he lived, like, you know, slaves and women get their names from their husbands? Do foxes get their names from the owners of the land they live on? <laughs> no. In folklore, uh, Reynardine, Reynard, Reynolds, that's the name associated with foxes. Reynardine is a, they call me Reynardine. It's a song that was collected over here, I do believe, uh, and it's about a fox. Well, and Renard is the French word for fox, I happen to know. Yeah. So that's where Reynolds, people who are named Reynolds trace their name back to fox somehow. Okay. Maybe. Let's listen to it. The song is Bold Reynolds, performed here by our guest for today's Song of the Soul, Gordon Bach. My name it is Bold Reynolds. I was born near Bonfire Hill. That was many years ago, but I remember still my brothers and my sisters as we played near the den with their care in all the world. My life. When I was scarcely nine months old, I first met with a hound. I heard their voices through the wood as I came above ground. I found it very easy to leave them in my wake. I wandered many miles that day. It was to prove my faith 
He had a handsome thick red coat Straightway my heart was lost We spent that year together At seven cubs all told I thanked the hounds for sending me And I, we stayed together many seasons more. Pheasants in the winter time, we always had in store. And in the springtime, I worked hard to feed the newborn young. Hunting through the short chill nights till the rising sun. And many times when I was stalking rabbits on my own I heard the distant hunting horn that called the stragglers home At times the hounds would follow me, but I would have my fun Across the fields and meadows I'd give them The years have passed, my vixen died, and I am on my own. My legs are tired, my coat is rough, and all my seed is sown. I do not wish a lingering death, I'll meet the hounds again, and take them on a final chase. Once more they'll serve my ends My name it is Bo Reynolds I was born near Bonfire Hill That was many years ago But I remember still My vixen and my young cubs as we played near the den. But now I bid you all farewell, my life is at an end. A Life Well Lived, Bold Reynolds performed by Gordon Bach, written by Dave Toy. So fox hunting, I, that's something I would never have connected you with, but then uh, maybe over in Maine you do that kind of thing. Here in Wisconsin, we don't. No, <laughs> I don't know. I've had foxes living on my land here. They moved in about 10 years ago, and the mother stayed, say, about seven years and raised seven litters here. She wasn't very threatened by anything that goes on around here. Actually, just a week and a half ago, for the first time in over 10 years, I saw a fox here. I was taking something out to my compost pile, and 30 feet behind it, there's a fox trotting up the hill. So I was pretty excited. Yeah, they're lovely animals. 
But that song, that song always reminded me of my brother and the way he lived his life and, and met his death, you know, just met it square on. Are you particularly fond of animals? Are you a city dweller or a countryman? What are you? I've pretty much lived in the country all my life, in a small town. Although I've worked seven years in uh, Philadelphia, seven winters, lived there for half a year, and met a lot of fascinating people, and sort of got a start in the music business, and you know, did some teaching, work like that, but did an awful lot, of, learned an awful lot of music at the time. So I know both of them, but I, I wouldn't live in a city now. Music is clearly where you've got most of your income from, at least these years, or it's, it's mm-hmm. sustenance for you. How much was the work on the water? What kind of work on the water did you do? Well, um, I started off working on yachts for people. Then the big commercial sailing schooners here that took people out for a week at a time. Worked for one man on three different schooners. Oh, off and on for seven years, taking various yacht jobs in between. People would uh, you know, get together and charter a small schooner or, or something like that and, and hire me as captain. And in the spring and the fall, I would do delivery jobs. You know, I, I get asked. There weren't many people doing that around here when I was young. So they'd ask me to take their boat somewhere for them, and I'd get a crew together and, and do it. So that that was actually quite well-paying for a good many years. And I managed to uh, do that for half a year. And then in the winter months, I had a place in Philadelphia that was very cheap. And I mean, I didn't really have to work in the winter because I was making good money in the summer. You know, I don't, you couldn't do that now, I don't think. And Philadelphia, if you didn't mind the neighborhood, you could live quite cheaply there. So um, that's when I had all the time in the world for music down there. It was wonderful. I assume that time out on the water, you have a fair amount of time for music, too. That's one of the gifts of traveling when you've got a very straight highway ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, well, some some boats and jobs keep you pretty busy. But, you know, there was uh, evenings that was the entertainment, really, telling stories, talking. Sometimes we'd go ashore and stir up a dance because the uh, the fellow I worked for played the fiddle, and because I could follow him on guitar, and we'd, we'd just start a little contra dance, and sometimes it'd be some local fellow would know how to call a dance. We, we'd have a good time. It was nice. And when the schooners got together, they were, there was always singing aboard there. And so is this actually a kind of thing where you'd sing together while you're sailing? I mean, or is it evening times just that you're doing this? It was or? pretty much evening times. Sometimes if we were pushing, these boats, most of them never had engines in them. So you had a little boat that in calm weather, you hook that on to the stern and push with it. And it became kind of like an outboard motor, you might say. So Captain Hawkins and I would... Uh, if you wanted to play the concertina, we it only played in, I think it was C and G. And so we would tune the, the yaw boat to one of those notes so that it wouldn't clash with the music, you know, because we were right there on top of the boat that was pushing us. So then we'd, we'd play for, you know, an hour at a time sometimes, just picking over tunes and entertaining ourselves, really. But most of the music was in the evening when we get together. If there was two schooners in the same harbor, we'd always get together and have a game of some sort. And contra dances, of course, being native to New England with the kind of thing you'd do. I assume because you're out on the water that you'd sing things like, you know, way, hey, up she rises, or <laughs> I'm off I to did. my love with a boxing glove 10,000 miles away, or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
there was no real use for shanties on boats like that, even though the passengers did all the work of raising the sails, which one of those sails is, is about the weight of a Volkswagen bug, I'd say, getting one of those to the masthead. So it took a certain amount of work, but shanties weren't really used on any of the boats I was on, be it fishing boats or even these boats. Some schooners would have somebody aboard who would sing shanties to keep people pulling in rhythm, but we found just a kind of a little chant would do it. You know, one for me, one for mother, one for the cook, and uh, that kind of thing would get us through. And I tried singing shanties on the stage, but they didn't catch on back when I was starting. I mean, people would sing them a little bit, but they weren't well known now. And then I, I lost interest in them because I'd heard them all a good many times, actually. So I tended to sing ballads and other songs that interested me. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of sea ballads, of course, and I know quite a lot from the Maritimes and you know the old shipwreck stories. And, but anyway, that yeah, that was what it did. And then as I spent time in the cities and got more known for the music around there, the concerts started to take over my time. And that was fine, but it was a change in direction. And uh, sometime, I think in my late 30s, I... I realized that I wasn't on the water enough. I wasn't working boats enough to really feel that I should be responsible for other people's lives. So I decided if I was going to be on the water, it was going to be for fun, not for pay. And the concerts had, you know, really taken over by that time. Well, I assume being out on the water, the thing that most of us hear about are the great wrecks or the storms. Did you have to face any of those yourself? Oh, yes. Various places. Of course, here on the coasts, there's so many places to duck into that you can pretty much stay out of bad weather, except for the odd hurricane. But other places, yes. Saraband was a boat that belonged to a guy I knew, I know in Maine. But he and a, a friend of mine, uh, Valentine Doyle, crossed the Atlantic in it. And, and it was a small catch, about 36 feet long. A Tahiti catch, actually. And they went through a storm there. And Valentine told the story of the storm from the boat's view, from her perspective. It was wonderful. And after that storm, they saw something that I've never seen at sea, and that is a river of fish in the water. And uh, play the song, you'll uh, you'll see what, what I'm talking about. And so what he's talking about is Sarah Band's story, performed here by Gordon Bach. The storm, when it came, shook me clear to my keel I lost all direction and time I had no horizon, ran battered and blind And the whole of the world was the great wave behind And the wave rushing on me to climb Come wind and come weather, there's nowhere to hide, and the ocean is wide. I carried my friends as a friend will her own, the three of us under the gale. I held on with the strength of iron and wood, and little did what they could with a tiller and shorten 
Divided behind me and joined at my bow, and I on a silver thread rudder to prow, and the whole of the ocean it spanned. And oh, the ocean is wide, and the web of the world's in the sea by your side, and the ocean. With a little ghost wind and the bigger fish came Blue and lovely they danced in the foam Ah, we traveled companions all down the day Then as the breeze quickened we were off on our way And I healed in the good wind The ocean is wide, and the web of the world's in the sea by your side, and the ocean is wide. Oh, the ocean is wide. Rise well, swim easy wherever you bide, for the ocean. Another treasure from the sea shared by Gordon Bach. The song is Sarah Band's Story by Valentine Doyle. Is he one of your singing mates too, Gordon? Oh no, I've sung various at various parties and gatherings with her and, and sing each other's songs sometimes. But she lives in Connecticut. So it's not someone you can get together. You've had a number of collaborations over the years, of course, so your music is pretty distinctively you. You've got such a nice, wonderful, deep voice. Did that come to you naturally, or did you have to take testosterone or something to get it that low? <laughs> no. No, my father was a bass, and actually my mother's people all had low voices, even the women, and uh, they all married basses, so they had somebody to sing with. But, no, that's it's just... Uh, my natural voice. My brother had about the same range as, as I do. You've been doing this music about the sea and about the animals, too. I mean, you, you've got things like 
brandy tree about an otter, right? Mm-hmm. Are you particularly, uh, I don't know if you want to call it environmentalist? I mean, you anybody who associates closely with the environment, I think, is an environmentalist. Well, How do you think about that for yourself? I've been accused of being a, an environmentalist and uh, hired as singer, but I think it's it's more of an advocacy in terms of the fact that we humans walk through life with blinders on. We don't see very well. We certainly don't hear very well. We deafen ourselves with our distractions. We isolate ourselves from the world that feeds us with our cars, with our gloves on our hands and our minds. It's just, I have a great need to see the world that feeds me. And I can't do it with my eyes, through my own eyes. It's like I have to find other eyes. That's where these particular three songs and the next one too are coming from is a, a CD I made called Other Eyes because this stuff started to really coalesce how unaware we are of what's out there. And if, if we don't know it's there, if we've forgotten it's there, that's why we're trashing it. We don't know what we're doing. We don't see it. I've been out there enough to see the effect on fish populations, on animal populations, bird populations of what we're doing. And quite soon, this world is not going to be able to feed us anymore. We're not treating it right. So this was an attempt really to look at the world through other eyes. And my mother actually said that. She believed that you need to learn all the languages you can. And by that, too, she meant animal languages. You know, she knew bird song. She had a, an astonishing set of ears on her anyway. She really was very comfortable outdoors in all forms, in all ways. And she could disappear in the woods. It was amazing. She could just stand still and disappear. And as a result, she saw some amazing things. And that's what I'm pulling toward, really. Mostly myself. I don't, I don't write or collect music for anybody else's education but my own, really. Uh, for anyone else's salvation. But these are things I've seen, and it seemed to make sense to make a, an album of them. So which ones do you want to share from that collection of Other Eyes? Well, the first two that we did, Old Reynolds and Sarah Band's story and the, and the Herring Croon. Now, that's a whole song that looks at the world first. What do you see, little herring? Uh, and the fish speaks and, and it describes his world, and then... Where do you go, little boat? I go to green bays. Lift them under me. That kind of thing. And what a tough life it is for a boat. And then what about you, old fisherman? And he gives his version of how tough it is. Then it comes back to the herring. But that was the original song. That's not on this album. What is on this album is the last verse I had to write about it. And that was like a year before the herring stock crashed. So, uh, why don't you play that one? Sure. Herring Croon, the last verse. Garden dry, 
care trough, middle water trough, God, they've hungered after me. Tore my home to hell and gone, there's no more place for me. It's a sad story whole loss of the herring that had been so much part of lifeblood and work and and just the natural existence of the area. Song is Herring Croon, last verse. It's by Gordon Bach. The first one was a lot happier, though. I think this mm-hmm. 1965 version really was pretty upbeat. I guess you didn't have any idea what was coming. No, I was just trying to do what my mother said, you know, just look through the world and <laughs> at the world through other eyes. But, uh, Yeah, sometimes it looks pretty grim. This is a Northern Spirit Radio production, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet. Our website is northernspiritradio.org. You can go to the site and hear all of our programs of the last six and a half years, find links to our guests, and you'll find a place to leave comments. And So please do give us some feedback on our guests and our music and where we should be going with it. Keep us going on the music. I know that you've got a place to head off to before far too long. Yeah. Well, The Seals is a short choral piece. I do. I love I love working with the local choruses here. I helped start, well, I started one and helped start another. This is from a poem by L.A.G. Strong. It was a nice connection between the young island girl and the local animals around her. And so you're leading, conducting this chorus, or how does this work? This is the quasi-modal chorus, right? Yes, right. I think I probably did conduct this particular one because I made the music. But we, we appoint different conductors as we need them. The song is The Seals, quasi-modal chorus.
quite a poem. The Seals by L.A.G. Strong. I guess that's from back in 1935, and you put the music to it, according to the liner notes here, 1995. Mm-hmm. Are there seals out by Maine? I, I don't know what's oh, out there. Oh, yes. Yeah, we have mostly harbor seals, but there's some harps that come south from Newfoundland, or west from Newfoundland. And uh, I've actually been told that a couple of gray seals have been seen around here. But mostly they're harbor seals, and there are quite a lot of them. Are gray seals particularly northern, or I, I don't know how the habitats go for these? They tend to be mostly, you hear of them around uh, Scotland and Ireland. They're the Rowans or the Selkies. They're the ones who transform into people, too, right? Right, yep. That's the ones. <laughs> we don't have many seals over here in Wisconsin, unfortunately. No, no, but I remember Scott Alaric telling about the, the Wisconsin whaling, Great Lakes whaling. Really? He said he, he had an uncle that used to do that. He used to hunt whales in the Great Lakes, but he, he said he actually got killed when a decoy fell over on him. <laughs> I, I, I've been wondering how many of your songs are accurate fact or how many of them are fishermen's stories. Well, as a friend of mine says, nobody ever paid me to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering if you... Where you live, I mean, since you're right by the ocean, do you see, in terms of animals or maybe temperature, do you see the effects of global climate change? Do you see migrations that are different than they used to be? We are, we are seeing that both in the, um, the pests that are coming through, you know, eating the forests, and that's all working farther north. We're at a place where there's a lot of boundary trees. We're at the northern edge of a lot of things. And it's a very easy place, I don't know how to say this, but uh, you get a really good reading for things as they become fragile. We've seen the uh, sugar maple trees, uh, we've seen them lose their strength, their health, I would say, their immune system. Just various, various things like that. And we've seen uh, more southern gulls working their way up here. And this, we've seen this for a long time. And, of course, east of us or north of us, things get pretty dramatic in the Arctic and Greenland. But I haven't seen those things. I was wondering if it affected things like seals as well. So you're seeing different seals or fewer seals, maybe, because it's warmer on the average? No, I believe the seal population is increasing here. But that's probably because we're not killing them as much. There's less of an inshore herring fishery. There's almost none now, actually. So the seals don't bother. They, they used to bother the nets. They'd come in over the float lines and, you know, and they'd eat the fish and people would shoot them. And actually, I think people just liked to shoot them because they, were, they thought they were competition. And they are to some extent, you know, a full-grown seal will uh, eat about eight pounds of fish a day. That isn't a lot of competition when you're pumping tons of herring out of the net. But we've, we really only have one sustainable fishery here now, and that's the lobster fishery. Are lobsters really the only thing that you can? I mean, herring used to be. Were there other things that were part of what you would harvest? Oh, yeah. People are still harvesting herring, but none of the little boats, because the big boats have gotten so efficient at it, and the big companies. So the small fishermen is pretty much worked out of it. Some of the small fishermen are actually doing some pretty neat things in terms of trying to clean up their act. The ground fishermen are trying to do less damage to the bottom. But those are small fishermen. Those are not corporations. In the last herring plant, 
the sardine plant closed here last year, a year before. So there are still fisheries, but they're hardly sustainable, and they're not very sustaining to the people who are fishing them. You know, I'm going to display a lot of ignorance here. Again, I've lived in the middle of the country for almost all of my life. I did spend a couple of years in Africa where I was right on the ocean, too. Mm. I don't know what all you can get from the sea there. I mean, I assume there used to be whaling around where you are. Other products of the sea? Oh, yes, there's seaweed. People are eating eat certain kinds of seaweed, dulse, the Scots people over here. When I was a kid, they would make pudding with dulse and kelp. People are using kelp for food now. We used to use it for fertilizer. Sea cucumbers, they used them. Urchins, those spiny, spiky things. We practically fished those out. Alewives, the uh, glass eels that come up our rivers in the in the winter, all sorts of you know pollock, haddock, halibut, cod. Of course, there just aren't as big stocks anymore, or the fish are smaller and smaller. And that's that's what the corporations are doing now. They're they're harvesting the, the herring in the spawning grounds in spawning season. So it's a pretty sure death to to that species. And that's the problem because whales eat them. They sustain just about everything that is larger than they are. And so it's like taking vegetables away from us, saying you can only eat meat from now on. It would be that large a percentage of our intake of food. That's my take on it. And you're there to see it happening, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, give us some more music, okay? Yeah. The Oyster Shell Road, Mary Garvey wrote this, and I think it's a really important song. It's about a way of life that was working. They were growing oysters in this long, beautiful, shallow bay where a lot of water has to move in and move out on each tide. And uh, it could be very dangerous to work there. And they would work sometimes at night. And then when the war came, the Second World War, the government came and took all the Japanese people away. A lot of them were working the oyster, oyster beds there, you know, And so the women and children really had to take over to stay alive. And a lot of the men were away at war. It's a wonderful story she told, and it's a story that really needed to be told. And that's Mary Garvey, wonderful songwriter from from that area, from the Columbia River. Oyster Shell Road Oh, you have to dig oysters When the tide is just right And sometimes it comes In the dead of the night The orders came down To extinguish all lights From our homes On the Oyster Shell Road The glow of a lantern could bring an attack So sometimes we'd sleep in the old oyster shack And let ourselves down with a rake and a sack Near our homes on the oyster shell road Some came from Germany, 
some from Japan. They live for the oysters, each woman and man. We said, God, go with you. Return when you can to your homes on the oyster shell road. And when push comes to shove, your metal shines through. And our hands and our feet somehow knew what to do. With the men gone away, we made such a fine crew near our homes on the oyster shell road. In the sea was the sun. In the air was the plane, but the man had it worse, so he didn't complain. And the neighbors would honk us all home in the rain to our homes by the oyster shell road. So we helped win the war in the mud and the muck. And we prayed that our feet would never get stuck. When the tide rushes in, you can run out of luck near your home on the oyster shell road. Oh, how I remember the dark and the cold. And I prayed that our story would someday be told, but it probably won't, 'cause we're getting so old near our homes on the oyster shell. Oyster Shell Road. Gordon Bach here today with us for Song of the Soul. Again, song was Oyster Shell Road. Gordon Bach performing Mary Garvey's song. Obviously a tender piece. How old were you at the time of World War II? I was born in That's about when the war started, wasn't it? Well, I think we got in it in 41, but it was still going pretty good by the time we got in there. Yeah, and it was over in 45, so... All I saw of the war really was the occasional guy from town in uniform and the guards in uniform that used to patrol. We lived on the road that went into the shipyard. They used to patrol around there at night, armed guards, because there was 1,500 people building wooden boats in there. Would Germans or whomever really come over to our country? I understand maybe there were the U-boats, the submarines of the day, that, yes. that came over. Were, were there actually airplanes bombing or anything like that? No, there weren't. We had a lot of outposts that were uh, spotter people and spotter planes. Volunteers used to go up in these towers and watch over the coast. There were submarine sightings, a lot of stories about them, uh, I think more than half true. And there were four spies caught that were landed by submarine in on the coast here. And they were caught within a couple of days. <laughs> they knew too much about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> That's proof they weren't real Americans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
or something. I, anyway, the locals spotted them. <laughs> you grew up Pennsylvania and there in Maine. What was your religious, spiritual background, or, or maybe what is it now? I think, once again, I'll just tell you a short story about my mother. She came from the Swedenborgian church, and when she moved to Maine, because I was just a little kid, so I don't remember much of this, but she tried out various churches here and and went to a couple for a while. And then she went to all of them. When I was in my late teens, she was going to one after another. She liked some for this, some for that, but it wasn't doing for her what she needed. So back behind where we lived, there was an inn that had been made of of an old summer cottage. And the, uh, the boiler blew up on it one winter and it burned. And the guy was so discouraged that he sold it to my mother. You know, he cleared it away and stuff. So all there was was the foundation up on this high ledge. And and she got together the money and built a chapel. Had a chapel built up there that has no walls, has a roof, and just big arches for windows. She planted beautiful plantings all around there. And it's run by a foundation now. And it is a children's chapel. It's non-denominational. Anyone can use it. But it's a place mostly for young people. That, that did it for her. And that pretty well does it for me. So the sense of reverence, but not one confined to walls. Right, yes. So basically what I'm trying to do is just keep hope alive, keep myself connected to the world that feeds me, and honor it as best I can and the creatures in it. And that includes people. That's a valuable ministry from my point of view. Thank you for doing it. Well, I only do it for myself, or I do it for myself first, let's say. This is my own salvation. I'm very gratified when other people find my work useful to them. Can you give us one more sample of your work before you have to go? Yeah, well, this would be Turning Toward the Morning. It's the one that people ask for the most. I made it for a woman whom I didn't know very well, but who wrote me a letter about how hard she was finding it to go into winter. So I made this. I was trying to write her a letter, but it came out as a song, which I'm happy about, Turning Toward the Morning. We're going to close out with Turning Toward the Morning. There are a lot of other gems of Gordon Box we could share with you. Things like Ilaho Lullaby and Brandy Tree, I mentioned that earlier. They're in the Rise Up Singing songbook. We've been so fortunate to have Gordon Bach with us here today. Thank you for joining me, Gordon. Thank you, Mark. It's been nice talking with you. Turning Toward the Morning, performed by Gordon Bach, Ann Muir, and Ed Trickett. Join us next week for Song of the Soul. Time that the world is always turning
time you hear that old wind walking, hear him singing high and thin, you could swear he's out there singing of your sorrow. Oh, my Johnny, don't you know that the stars are swinging slow and the seas are rolling easy as they did so long? Tell you one more time that the world is always turning toward the morning. When the darkness falls around you and the north wind comes to blow and you hear him call your name out as he walks the brittle snow. That old wind he don't care or even know He's just walking down the darkness toward the morning Oh, my Johnny, don't you know That the stars are swinging slow And the seas are rolling easy As they did so long ago If I had a thing I would tell you one more time that the world is always turning toward the morning. It's a pity we don't know, but the little flowers know they can't face the cold November, they can't take the wind and snow. They put their Bow their heads and let it go, but you know they'll be there shining in the morning. Oh, Jolie, don't you know that the stars are swinging slow and the seas are rolling easy as they did so long ago? And if I had a thing to give you, I would tell you one more time that the world is always turning toward the morning. Now, my Joni, don't you know that the days are rolling slow and the winter's walking easy as it did so long ago? And if that wind Come and ask you, why is my Jolie weeping so? Won't you tell him that you are weeping for the morning? Oh, my Jolie, don't you know that the stars are swinging slow and the seas are rolling easy as they did so long ago? And if I had a thing. I would tell you one more time that the world is always turning toward the morning. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. 
My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy That in the light it will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song of the soul